You are down with Yo, Dave. What up? Drop the beat. We like it old school. You know how we do this. What you listening to? The brothers from the 818. 818. My name is Dave. As you know, kicking it with my man, Caleb, like we do every week. Caleb, what's going on with you? Hey, man, it is wonderful to be back with you, David. I can't wait for this podcast to come out. I know people are going to love it. I'm so excited. I didn't even sleep last night. There was a lot going on in my mind because I was just giddy about um, having our guests uh, join us tonight. Yo, man, me too, me too. And um, before we get to our guest, um, I just want to uh, point out that this uh, month, we really want to dedicate all of our episodes to women that are doing amazing things. Absolutely. And I got to start off with one, just because today is uh, my mama's birthday, man. It's her heavenly birthday. Today, she would have been 83 years old, sent out a post this morning. And, uh, you know, I always love my mama. She is my favorite girl. And uh, I posted a picture. Uh, she was 34. I was two sitting on her lap with my fresh uh, Dapper Dan uh, slacks and, 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 and Frankenstein shoes. <laughs> And um, it's just a beautiful picture that I always have. And people gave some good feedback. And, and my mom was truly a beautiful woman. And so just all honor due, man. The man I am came from the mama that raised me. And, and uh, even though she's gone, I know she's always here. And, and just uh, knowing that uh, she's a part of everything I do. And I give her honor every day. But in respect of uh, Women's History Month and just thinking about beautiful women and women who are doing amazing things, can't let that go without celebrating my mama. So I just got to start there. What about you? Today, I honored my mother uh, at work. Um, I had uh, I was hosting a meeting. And uh, before the meeting started, I, I had uh, some Al Green playing. Hmm. Al Green um, was my mother's favorite artist. And, you know, um, um, when I started the meeting, I explained the reason why uh, Al Green was playing, and I and I explained that my mother was born in a small town in Louisiana. Uh, the name of the town is Manny. A lot of people don't know Manny, Louisiana. It's you won't even find it on a map if you looked. Um, and but uh, my mother, she passed ten years ago uh, when she was seventy-five, and um, it, today and all month. We should uh, recognize our mothers. I love the fact that you you posted a picture of your mother uh, for everyone to see you in your in your in your glory at at the age of two. So I love that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, man, it, it got a lot of positive feedback. And it's a picture I see often, but just seeing people's response, even my children was like, hey, Granny, we miss you. I was like, wow, even my children are responding on, on social media. Wow. So um, so that's big. I just wanted to make sure we gave some love to that. I made another post today, just so you know, for all the women that have been part of the Brothers from the 818, man, getting us set up. And so I just want to take a little time to give them some love. I have to start off with my boo, Ilana and Tonya. Uh, them brown girls, you know, girls. Uh, we introduced them and brought their podcast back. They had us come on theirs. I think we're going to have them as a guest for our next episode. Um, you had two friends of yours uh, come on. Yeah, that was uh, Deb and Shay, and they blessed us. That was right after um, Jada and uh, Will Smith um, fiasco, the entanglement. right? The yeah. entanglement, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. they blessed us, and we were really happy to have them on. And we um, we said that they'll be back for our hundredth episode, and so um, looking forward to that as well. Yeah, and uh, Lil Ritz from the 07304. Oh, wow, yeah. She was on our Father's Day episode, gave a lot of love to her father, and just a big fan of the show. Um, one of our Pacoima natives, Chef Roxy, you know, a big fan of the show, big supporter. Um, we, are in turn, also support her. She's an 818 favorite. Um, somebody special in both of our lives, Miss um, Iman. Ashanti, she was on uh, one of our episodes. We did Battle of the Generations. Um, Sister Carol, Sister Carol was on there. So we've had just some, some amazing women come in and support our efforts and what we're doing way back in the beginning when the podcast, oh, I forgot, uh, your queen. Um, yeah, my wife. The wife was on our, one of our early episodes. This is before we had backdrops and layouts and we were just switching camera positions. So when we got started, she was a big part of that as well. So to all of y'all, um, we just appreciate you. We love you. We honor you. Um, we know that the Brothers from 818 would not be where we were, where we are, um, without people willing to invest with us as we built this show up from uh, a single video with nothing to do with it to the powerful episode we are going to have today. You ready for this? Yeah, man, nothing but gratitude to those ladies that you mentioned. You know, I picked up my cup um, to highlight my, my daughter, uh, Iman, um, Ashanti Bea, for all the work that she's doing. And, you know, she has some swag. So I picked up, I picked up her swag and I was enjoying that. But I'm ready for this. No more. Let's not hesitate anymore. Let's bring on our guests today. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. So tonight, to start off our dedication to women for, uh, for this month, uh, we have a phenomenal woman, Madam Mayor, the mayor of Tustin, California, is joining us tonight. Uh, Madam Mayor, Mrs. Letitia Clark. Welcome to the Brothers from the 818. Hey, Brothers from the 818. It's good to be with you tonight. Thank you. It is so good to have you. Thank you for agreeing to be on our show. Thank you for uh, spending this time with us. How are you? I'm good. You know, uh, 2021 has already proven to be an interesting year. It's 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 interesting being a virtual mayor, you know, so to speak. So um, uh, just just working every day to do the work that uh, that God's called me to do. So uh, it's a journey every day. That's for sure. I'm just going to say amen to that. And, amen. And, and <laughs> so 
um, the floor is yours, Madam Mayor. And, and let me just let me just say this. So um, we recognize you are the mayor of Tustin. Anyone who's a fan of the show knows we've had this conversation before about what to refer people as. And so I want to give you that liberty uh, to we we give you all honor as Madam Mayor. And we will continue that. If you want us to call you something different, please say so. But you earned that right. And we on the Brothers from the 818, we want to make sure that we give you the respect and love that's due to you, not only as an amazing and phenomenal woman, but as the mayor, we want to give you that right. So um, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a, a little bit about who you are, and we'll go from there. Well, first, thank you for that uh, difference about the title. I think, um, you know, I appreciate that, that you put some respect on that because, yeah, I worked hard for it. And I think with women, we often... Um, are not called by our titles, particularly in politics. And I've noticed in my experience, I'm often given a nickname right away, especially because my first name, Letitia, is not you know the easiest to pronounce. So, you know, I get called by my counterparts, LC or or Hey L, you know, and it's it's just sometimes it can feel very demeaning, especially if we have not established a rapport where there is some you know consent consent that hey yes we're going to be on a first name basis. So I feel like sometimes the respect of the title is diminished a little bit without permission. So I appreciate that you asked. And yes, let's please be on first name uh, basis during the podcast. Um, but no, thank you for having me on. Uh, you know, I've been, I was selected uh, to be mayor on the Tustin City Council in December. And I mentioned selected because um, here in Tustin and many of the cities, I'm um, in Orange County, which is a little, you know, south of you all, um, we are what would be considered smaller or more medium-sized cities. So uh, the city of Tustin has about 83,000 people in the city. So we don't have an independently elected mayor, mainly because of the size of our city. So we rotate the mayor position. However, it's not guaranteed that any of us will have the mayor position. So I still have to earn the votes from my, my colleagues. Um, and in the past, politics have been, you know, uh, used for that position because it is somewhat of a position of influence. And so we've seen um, members on the council uh, serve as mayor several times, either consecutively or uh, you know what may be considered out of turn. So it was no guarantee that I'd be mayor, but um, coincidentally, when I ran for reelection um, and then was successful as the number one vote getter, then my colleagues also selected me as mayor. So 2020 uh, was a good year. Um, in that regard. Uh, but, um, you know, in many ways, I'm, I'm often asked to talk about my experience as being the first Black woman on the council and now the first Black, Black, Black female mayor, and then also the first female mayor that the council has had in um, almost 20 years. Wow. So there have been women on the council, but they have not served as mayor for nearly two decades. Um, and while it we shouldn't still be talking about first or, you know, that gap of time, you know, in, in 2021, I do feel honored to be able to serve during this time. I, I feel like the environment to talk about equity and inclusion and social justice and environmental justice and, um, you know, just a lot of areas that are going to move our communities forward and prepare us for the future um, are really being dealt with in a serious way right now. So I feel lucky to be um, in a leadership position to, uh, you know, be at the table during this time. Um, so while, you know, it's hard to, to still say, well, there's a first this and a first that, 
Um, we're just trying to break down some of those doors here in Orange County. So I, I feel uh, blessed to be able to, to be one of those people, you know, kicking down some of these doors and, and making it easier uh, for others to do that here in Orange County. You know, and um, for those that don't know much about Orange County, the, the county as a whole, we have more than 3 million people here made up of 34 cities. So it's a large metropolitan area. And uh, I think some of the conceptions about it being extremely conservative, extremely Caucasian, um, those, those are perceptions that I think are dwindling. We are changing here in Orange County. Um, we are becoming a majority minority county and we have a lot of people of color. Now we're spread out. You won't find certain communities that just have all the same type of you know, racial or ethnic um, makeup, but we are uh, changing a lot in Orange County. And I would say it's a good opportunity uh, for people of color to start looking at opportunities for leadership in the private and the public sector um, and particularly in politics. So again, I, I feel fortunate to be you know, kind of able to lead some of that effort. And actually, before I got on uh, this call with you all, I had a, a call with another former Black mayor in La Palma, who you may not have heard of, Marshall Goodman. And uh, him and I were just talking about how do we work to get more Black people elected in mm -hmm. Orange County, period. And there's only a few of us right now, um, but we, we're really talking about leaving a legacy, you know, beyond ourselves and to us that means making it easier for black folks to, to come into Orange County, lead effectively, and then give them some guidance about how to navigate this tough environment. Because in some ways it can be difficult, mainly because you have to build alliances here. You're not going to find, you know, just a black community that's able to support you. You have to find alliances in other communities and it has to be broad, but um, you can also be proud of who you are and that authenticity will also help you be successful. So we had a whole conversation about, you know, legacy, leaving and building. Um, but uh, folks should know that I grew up here in Orange County, um, you know, product of this area. My dad was born here, which is actually also very rare. He was one of the first, well, not one of the first, he was the first African-American baby born at Hoke Hospital in Newport Beach. Wow. My grandparents came here when they were 19 and 20 years old. My, my grandfather was in the Marines that brought him here. Um, so they've, they've, you know, when someone says maybe that I don't belong here or that I don't have a place here in Orange County, I, you know, I say this is more my home than it is other folks. So th this is home and I feel at home here. I don't feel out of place because my family roots are, are so strong here. Uh, but I went to an HBCU. I attended Xavier University of Louisiana in New Orleans. And, um, I always, um, and, and that's why I think I'm so passionate about the equity and inclusion and the, the representation uh, discussions we're having now because when I went to Xavier, and I'm sure we can get into this later, but I, I learned that uh, high expectations were required. I was always kind of treated like I was special or different or, you know, wow, you're so articulate. Wow, you're so smart and talented. It was like I was an anomaly here in Orange County. When I went to Xavier, everyone was like that. And we were expected to do even more. You know, we were expected to be remarkable and excellent. And uh, that stuck with me. And it, it made me feel like I could literally do anything. And so um, going to an HBCU was one of the best decisions I ever made, especially growing up in a place like Orange County, where 
I didn't get to see uh, black ex excellence all around me. Um, but it was it was there that I learned. Uh, I, I saw black people doing amazing things. So representation truly does matter. I had to see it in order to believe it and achieve it. Like, you know, that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I um, thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And so my, my um, major was pre-law, but I changed it to political science after I started working kind of like part-time to make extra money on campaigns in New Orleans. And I saw so many women running for office, black women running for office. And I didn't even know that was a possibility here in the OC. So I changed my major to political science, started working um, in New Orleans uh, at City Hall and um, right into kind of my entry level position, Hurricane Katrina struck the city. And I found myself on the front line, just responding to everything uh, that was thrown at the city. But it taught me a lot about public service, about the importance of local government because we were on the front lines and so all of that kind of shaped where I am today, just all those experiences. So I'll stop talking, but that, that's kind of my, my story in a nutshell, because all, all of that led me you know, to, to be the mayor of, the, of this town we call Tustin here in Orange County. You know, um, I, first, of, first of all, I wanna thank you for joining us with, on the Brothers with From the 818. I appreciate you giving us your time you mentioned Louisiana, um, and and um, and David and my check-in. I talked about my mother growing up in Louisiana, Manning, Louisiana. Uh, you mentioned Katrina, and um, I was in Louisiana um, about a week or two before Katrina hit. Um, I was on my way to Iraq. Um, at that time, and when I actually arrived in Kuwait, um, I learned about Katrina hitting Louisiana. Um, so, and you mentioned about legacy. David and I, we talk about legacy all the time, so I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, in in one, of the, one of the things you said early on is that you're learning to deal with being a virtual mayor. Give us a look into a day in the life of the mayor of Tustin. What does that look like for you? So on a daily basis, um, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm putting out fires. It's, it's calls from the city manager, it's calls from the different department heads about addressing constituent concerns. Um, there are a lot of people that just kind of want to want some FaceTime with the mayor and we're doing that via Zoom. Um, and, the, you know, there's actually, sometimes a misconception about what the mayor can do, especially when it's um, what we call not a strong mayor. A strong mayor would be an elected mayor. And so there is some different executive power that an elected mayor has versus um, one that's appointed amongst the council. So that's kind of an all interesting education process sometimes for the, uh, for the community. But I really work hand in hand with the city manager who essentially serves as the CEO of the the city because he manages all the staff and the city manager is the only employee that the council uh, actually hires. And we are really not supposed to be um, directing other staff, you know, that's over our purview. That's that's his or, or her job. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of calls with him. It's negotiating um, contracts or, or lawsuits. Um, and then 
on top of kind of just the day-to-day business, then there comes my goals that are often broader, loftier, more laser focused. Um, I started an interfaith council, a nonprofit council. I'm starting a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. So I meet with these groups on a regular basis. Um, I have a real passion about transparency and communication. So um, on a monthly basis, we shoot a video that goes out. I have um, a lot of communication that, that goes out to constituents and we're trying to develop an app right now, a city app so that they can um, report graffiti or, or homeless or you know broken streetlights or you know whatever it is on this app. Um, so it's kind of like just checking in on all these goals that I have to make sure that there's constant constant work on those. But so it's, it's all consuming. Um, it's a full-time job, uh, no doubt about it. And then um, part of it is also just making sure that I'm posting and, and doing things that are visible on social media. I don't have a staff that, that does any of that. I'm, I'm in charge of all that. Plus I maintain a full-time job. I'm the government relations director for a community college district here in Orange County. So I kind of say I'm the Olivia Pope of the community colleges. Often it's my job to just fix it. You know, if a faculty member has an issue or the board you know, of trustees has an issue, <coughs> excuse me, um, it's my job to just, you know, do the PR that's associated with it, the public affairs, but then also stay in touch with all of our electeds um, to make sure that we're, you know, advocating on behalf of the community colleges. So it's, it's a full-time job. Plus I have a family, a husband and twins. So I'm also planning to release a children's book this summer. It's going to be called Mommy is the Mayor. And um, it's uh, kind of giving kids an insight of what the mayor does through my kids' eyes. Because early when I ran for office, they didn't quite understand you know, what a city council member would do, what the mayor does, and they were nine when I first ran. And now that they're 13, they have a much better understanding, but the book is about you know, showing that everything from a stop sign to a playground at a park to when the as sirens go by, that a mayor has a hand in all of those things that kind of you know help a city just be clean and safe and functioning. So, you know, those are just kind of the things I'm working on on a regular basis. That that's all so amazing. It's interesting uh, that book. You know, I, I love books. I love children's books. I look forward to you know Dr. Seussman. Dr. Seussman, so yeah. we read books. Um, as you know, I, you may know, I'm in education and I hold a position in the district where every once in a while my kids are like, well, my dad is the ex, so he can take care of that. So I can only imagine, you know, uh, well, my mom's the mayor, so right. say something else and watch what happened. Right? Actually, um, they, my kids, they downplay it. They don't want people to know because I think even they've seen how folks start to treat them differently for better or for worse, when they mm -hmm. mentioned that. So they asked me not to mention it, you know, to their friend. They just want to be regular. They don't want to be the mayor's kids. They just want to be right. regular kids and, you know, invited to the parties because they're cool, not, you know, not me. Right. So uh, back to school night, a whole new vision when the mayor shows up. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So you mentioned a couple of things that I really want to tag on before I get to my next question. You said, you know, that in 2021, we shouldn't keep talking about first. 
And, and I hear that. Um, but if we're, we're going to stop talking about first, then we got to get some more seconds and thirds and fourths to happen consecutively, right? Because we still have way too many firsts and we still look at too many things that are the exception, right? Especially within our community. And if we, until we can start looking at those exceptions as the rules, then we're going to have a lot of firsts and we need to give the people though that recognition. You are the uh, first black woman to uh, mayor the city of Tustin. And as you said, in almost 20 years, the first woman to be in that position. And whether that's a first or a fifth, it's worthy of bringing up, right? Absolutely. And if they don't want to bring it up next time, then let whoever follows you be another one and who follows her to be another one and so mm -hmm. forth. And then we'll stop talking about it. So I just will, I wanted to throw that out there. Um, um, but you mentioned, you know, 2020, you said something that I haven't heard many people say, and I say it privately, especially in the mirror, because I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect anyone who had hard times in 2020, right? I thrived, honestly, during 2020. Um, so did Caleb. Um, he hates when I put his business out there, but since we're here, you know, he thrived and, and, you know, I kept my job, which I was blessed to do. My children are healthy, you know, and, and, you know, things kept moving. Um, but you said, you know, 2020 was a, was a great year. And then you paused and said, you know, in that regard. Um, but looking at 2021, we're in the third month. This is officially March, which I can't believe, right? We're deep in uh, 2021 now. But there's some remnants, right? And there's some things that in 2019, we said, oh, we would never do that. And in 2021, we're saying now we do that and more. Right, it's, it's, it's taking us to the next level. Um, you mentioned, so you've been on the city council now, I believe since 2016. That's right. You were first elected. So, and this is your first virtual year. Um, what, what activities do you see you doing now that are gonna make 2022 when maybe you're not virtual that much better or, or even beyond? What tools have you started to utilize that are going to be your new normal? That's a great question. And I don't think anyone's asked me this question yet, but I've definitely thought about it. And mainly I mentioned that a transparency is huge for me and communication. So government has always kind of, you know, gotten a C or a D in this area in terms of being extremely accessible, extremely flexible in terms of um, making sure that every member of the public can actively participate. And this was just kind of always an issue for me I mean, I was talking about providing childcare at some of our council meetings before the pandemic because what I was seeing um, consistently, especially about controversial issues, was a certain type of person from our community that seemed like they had the means to afford to care about some of the issues that, that were on the agenda. Uh, you know, if they mentioned that they had to hire a babysitter, okay, you had the means to hire a babysitter to come down and maybe wait for hours to express your opinion. And so I always thought, okay, what about the working family? What about the family who has two or three jobs and can't even afford to look at the agenda? How, where do we hear, when do we hear from them? And how do we ensure that their voice is being heard? So now we're in an age where we're learning how to do virtual pretty well. And we're, we're finding out how to even merge the virtual with the live. So to me, there will be no more excuses about why we can't make it accessible and flexible for people to make public comments from home via Zoom, via computer, via phone, once we get out of the pandemic. I don't even know how we ethically say 
Now we're going to go back to, you have to show up in person at seven o'clock at night, wait around three hours to make a public comment on a controversial issue. I don't know how we ethically do that because we know it's possible. So for me, yeah, really looking into that public participation uh, part of government that is so important. And it, it's frankly how marginalized communities continue to be left out because we assume that we're not hearing from their voice because they don't care. And that's just not the case. Um, uh, and I, I, I do believe we have to, if we can't be more proactive in getting to some of these communities, um, we do have to be more flexible and accessible. We're also seeing, you know, mobile things become more, more prevalent. We are providing vaccines and testing through mobile uh, devices. So we're getting in vans, going to neighborhoods, offering services. I don't know why we wouldn't be able to do that um, after the pandemic. If there are um, services that we provide through Parks and Rec, if there are meals that are being provided by the senior center, explain to me how we cannot put this in a van and go to the neighborhoods that need it after the pandemic, because that's what we're doing right now. And we're noticing how many families we have that are, or you know, people that we have that are bedridden, that have transportation issues or mobility issues. Um, so, th so that that's going to be huge. I think also working on um, treating broadband like a a public service. That that this is now something that everyone needs in order to be on an equal level playing field. So. Having to go to McDonald's for Wi-Fi is not going to be acceptable. We're going to have to pour in resources to make sure that um, neighborhoods that are families and, and areas that can't afford increasingly expensive Wi-Fi services that they have this, if, especially if we're going to incorporate it in all of our functions. So yeah, I'm definitely looking at making sure that some of these flexible, arenas stick around because it does provide a lot of equity across the board. So, if you can't be proactive, be flexible. I love that. I'm about to sell that one. We're going we're gonna to put that on a shirt, Caleb. Okay. Be proactive, <laughs> be flexible. Yeah. Hashtag uh, Letitia for mayor. Uh, what would that be? 2024? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, I, and here I am. I'm taking, I have a, I have a sheet full of notes. Um, David mentioned that um, I don't like him putting my business out there, but because we have Mayor Clark joining us tonight, I'm going to behave. Um, but I do have a I do have a sheet full of notes, and what you said about broadband being essential um, really resonated with me. Um, you know, David and I, we, early on in the pandemic, we were talking about what is essential, right? And people were running out and getting toilet paper, right? right. And um, but. And we had we we've already had that podcast about things that are essential. But um, I did collect. Uh, um, I was collecting a lot of notes as if I was going to be running for mayor one day. And because a lot of the things that you mentioned really speaks to um, you know my everyday life. I work um, I work for Los Angeles County, and a lot of the work that I do involves marginalized communities and disproportionality. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, I do have a question in regards to gender. Um, as a woman, do you feel that your approach is any different than your male counterparts in politics? Absolutely. Um, 
it shows up in the weirdest times. Um, I think sometimes, and I, I think I, I have to experience a double-edged sword sometimes because I'm a black female. There is, I, I would say the majority of people I interact with that are not part of the, the community as residents or constituents are developers, are investors, are, um, you know, a anybody kind of pitching a business uh, in the city and 80% of them are Caucasian men. And I feel like often there is a lot of mansplaining going on for your viewers <laughs> to know what mansplaining is. Uh -huh. There is um, this surprise, like you mentioned earlier, that, that somehow I'm just this exception to the rule. So they're very surprised that I'm articulate and intelligent and knowledgeable. But then once we get past that, then they question my savviness as it comes to politics. They just assume that I can't be strategic or savvy when it comes to navigating the political system. Um, so I, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if that's because I'm a woman or because I'm black. I can't always put my finger on it, but I know that it's something <laughs> and I deal with it on a regular basis. I'm kind of, you know, some of those microaggressions. It's both. Um, it's both. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's both. Right. No, you're right. right. Go ahead. And so that, that can be, you know, it, it weighs on me because it feels like I'm going into an interview every time I have a meeting with a constituent who's asking me for something. And here I am trying to prove myself to them that, you know, we can have a peer-to-peer a -peer conversation. Um, so yeah, it definitely comes up. But I think being a woman does give me a different perspective. I'll give you an example. We were uh, going through some negotiations with uh, a lawsuit recently and, um, my colleagues wanted to reach an agreement and they wanted to call it a non, like a non-combative agreement, something like that. And I was like, can't we just call it a cooperative agreement? <laughs> like, why does it, oh, it was called a non-aggression agreement. And I just, I was like, what? even in the semantics, I said, that's a little, little much, you know, and we're already, you know, framing it as though, yeah, you're lucky we're not going to be aggressive with you, but it was just kind of a totally different perspective. And I was the only woman at the table. So I just immediately thought I wanted to come, you know, at it in a different way. Uh, so I see it show up every now and then um, in a strange way. And I think as a woman, um, I, I often, although sometimes I resent being asked about so I'll give you an example. I'm always asked about where my kids are. Where are your kids? Who's watching them? What, you know, I, how are they being taken care of? I never hear my male colleagues be asked about their kids. It's never a concern. If I wanna take on a new position on a board or a new committee role, everyone always asks me, well, how are you gonna juggle all that? Mm. Are you sure you have the bandwidth to do that? They never ask my male colleagues that. They say, hey, if you want to take it on, take it on. And so I find that as a challenge and I can't help but think that that is a gender you know, bias, intentional or not. Um, however, I do often think about my family when I'm making decisions because I think about other families who um, have to take that into account when they're you know, either accessing a service or, you know, advocating for something in their community. I, I don't think, look at them as an individual. I look at them um, as a family unit because that's how I make decisions. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it, 
plays a role both positive positively and negatively. But to me, for the most part, it speaks to why we need that diversity, gender-wise, racial makeup, but most of all, perspective. That's what difference in people bring to the table, a different perspective. So you're looking at um, issues differently. There was a time where our council was primarily made up of retired individuals because it was just the, the perception that you could only dedicate the time needed if you were retired. But then you're also going to get a certain set of policies passed by people who aren't concerned about being in the working environment anymore, who are concerned with traffic from, you know, the morning to the evening, you know, all those things, they're, they're just not in that space. And so I, I noticed that even though it's been difficult to navigate having a full-time job and being on the council, more people think now they can actually do the job and they can be on the council and have a job, but we have to change. Maybe meetings won't be at 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> every, right. every day. Maybe we won't have to have food at every meeting. Like, you know, just certain things that uh, change when the perspectives change on, on the council. And um, I think having a good balance of gender, racial makeup, but, but most of all perspective is, is crucial. You know, Letitia, uh, in, in complete transparency, I'm one of those male colleagues. And yeah. I'm so thankful for not only the women that I've worked with or the women that I'm in school with and different professionals along that line who's actually educated me in that sense. Like, mm -hmm. when's the last time you went on an interview and someone asked you about your 10-year plan, worried about if you're going to have kids and get pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. and, and things along those lines. When I right. say, or even when someone needs me to work late and I'm a single father, no mm -hmm. one says, well, who's going to take care of the kids, Right. right. But it's, that's a real concern for you. Yeah, it's a real right. concern for you, but no one asks right. and, and, and so forth. And so we look at those things as men and take for granted that we never got asked those questions. But because that we've been in, in environments with women in power, women in authority, women who are chasing the same dreams we are, if you just slow down long enough to listen or have a courageous conversation, you'll find out that, yeah, these are real things. So I appreciate you highlighting that, not only for us, but for our listeners and viewers, but it's a very real thing to recognize that there is that dual standard. And it's not oftentimes what's said, it's what's assumed right. and applied uh, simply because of your gender. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. So we're getting close to the end, but I, I have to stage this up and, and, and just kind of you know, see, ga gauge your thoughts on it. So, you know, this country's changed, obviously. Um, when I grew up, when Caleb grew up, um, and, and we're a few years older than you, but, you know, we grew up in that realm of, you know, you can be anything you want, including president. We're like, yeah, okay, sure. You know, there's no examples of that, right? But okay, yeah, we can be anything we want. I get it, I get it. Work hard is what you're trying to say. Why don't you just say that? Um, but my kids, Caleb's kids, you know, they've grown up in an era where the first president that they likely remember and engage with happened to be a black man. Right. right. Even today, we have a black woman, Kamala Harris, as as vice president, and could likely, you know, move into the presidential seat in four years. Right. And so we're seeing a lot of changes. Um, but you're the fulfillment of that dream. Quite honestly, my mom, Caleb's mom, our generation produced the hope. Um, but you're the substance behind that hope. You made it happen. And so little girls, you know, and, and I don't have a lot of experience in this area. I'm not one. 
um, and <laughs> never have been one, and I don't even have any daughters, but little girls are, um, uh, we might have one of our guests that, or one of our viewers that has a daughter that says, this is what I want you to see. This is what I'm talking about. Um, what do you say to her? Right, and I think you have a daughter as well, right? I do have a daughter. She was mommy. Um, what do you say to the daughter, to the little yeah. girl that sees you as mayor? Yeah, um, it, it's so important. I mean, the, the 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 representation, the seeing it being done in front of your eyes, I think is so important for this next generation. I started a girls in government program too in Tustin for that very reason, to highlight all the women who work in City Hall to show our, our girls in our community. This could be you too. You could be working in finance or be in, you know, uh, in Parks and Rec or whatever. And, and these are jobs that can give back to your community. And I didn't mention, I mentioned a council member that I, you know, emulated and and followed a lot of her path because I saw it. But my mom told me that I actually wanted to be a lawyer growing up because I wanted to do whatever Claire Huxtable did. I said, whatever, I don't know what she does, but I want to do what she does. And my mom said, oh, she's a lawyer. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. So I was, I had this whole path to become a lawyer because of what, what I saw in Claire Huxtable. Mm -hmm. And so that representation is huge. What I say to any young girl is to, um, yes, shoot, shoot for the stars. Don't let other people's fears stop you from achieving, you know, what you want to do. Also know that you are, equipped with everything that you need in order to succeed right now. Even if you don't get another degree, if you don't get another letter of recommendation or additional training, you are prepared to succeed in, in several areas right now. And so I, I like the, the quote from uh, Zig Ziglar that says, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start in order to be great. So just start, just, just go for it. Don't let fear get in the way, get out of your own head. But we often put so many expectations on ourselves. Well, let me, let me finish school. Let me do this. Let me have my family. Let me move to this area. Let me get this certain wardrobe. Then I'll be ready. Just start. And you will find yourself succeeding and achieving those goals way earlier than you ever thought you could because you didn't let anything stop you, but usually we are our own, we are our own barriers in, in achieving greatness. Well, you, you, I feel like you've given us a, a number of uh, hashtags for our, <laughs> our shirts, right? Now okay. you're going to see in Tustin, we're going to be rocking, just start. Yeah. Um, you're going to see, uh, I really did love your, your, how you explain perspective. Um, and on the Brothers from the 818, we often talk about the raw, the real, the relevant, and, and now we might even need perspective because you brought that to uh, our podcast tonight. And um, hopefully our listeners, as David kind of um, um, laid it up for, uh, for our listeners, maybe um, they will share this podcast with their daughters, with their with their family members, with their sons, and so they can see an example like you, Mayor Clark, um, that is really 
how we would say it on the brothers from the 818, you're doing the dang thing, right? <laughs> and so um, you are doing it um, and you are representing um, um, our community. And I just love, I just love that. So thank you for giving us your time. But if you've ever listened to the brothers from the 818, you know how we like to end our show. Yes. What are you listening to? So it's funny, my kids now, they're 13. And all of a sudden, all these 90s groups and 90s styles are like new to them. So my daughter right now has the like the box braid, Jada Pinkett style, Bob going on from Set It Off. You know, my, my son has the flat top and, and they're looking at all the throwback jerseys. Stuff. So I've been like into my 90s music right now, D'Angelo and Brandy and Jade and Mary J. And I'm just like, y'all, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this, right? Like, <laughs> I know I, this is what I grew up in. And you guys are hearing all this new trap music sampling. Like, what By the way, that's another hashtag for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just so funny to see them, you know, kind of, oh, I know that song. At the way that we used to listen to Biggie and, you know, P Diddy, and they were sampling the Isley Brothers and the way my parents were like, that's old, you know, y'all. Right, right. <laughs> so I, I feel the same way. So I've been listening to, to a lot of 90s mixes uh, lately and uh, just kind of reminiscing on back in the day. I shared, I shared what I was listening to already. I was listening to some Al Green. Right. And even, um, even after I finished with my meeting, I, I continued to listen to Al Green. So I'll ask David, what are you listening to? Man, I got a story to tell. So uh, that'll, that'll help you lead into it. I was in the car with my middle child uh, watching. I got a story to tell. Don't judge me. And I uh, asked, uh, asked him, say, hey, what's your favorite music? And he kind of looked at me and he said, whatever you like. And it reminded me of coming to America, which I'm going to get to in a moment, right? But I was like, all right, well, since there in the moment, I was like, you know who Biggie is, right? And he was like, yeah, that's the guy that's on the back of uh, Xavier's jersey. I was like, you know anything else about him? <laughs> so I was like, let me send you an album if you listen to it. So he listened to uh, Ready to Die. And oh, wow. he, said he really liked it. And he asked, what's That's next? A starter, right. Ready oh, to die as a starter album. <laughs> yeah. And so I gave him a life after death. He's going to listen to that. He probably started listening to it tonight. So he, introducing my middle high school child into some biggie. But I mentioned coming to America and I won't get into the commentary for the movie, but there's a, a, a remix of a Prince song. And anybody who knows me knows I love some Prince. So I've been listening to Get Off real loud in the car, especially when I pull up to my neighborhood, um, which was another story, Letitia, uh, that had to do with my birthday party and my neighbors calling the police on me. So now when I come home, I listen to music rather loud. You want to call, I'll go ahead, right? It's like that. So right. that's what I've been listening to. A little bit of Prince, a little bit of Biggie, and just uh, keeping it going. So Love it. that's what's up. But yeah, you're, you're chasing our heart, uh, Letitia. Uh, now I'm feeling now I'm comfortable because you, you talk about 90s D'Angelo and Mary J. Blige. And, you know, yeah, that's just part of the normal playlist. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, uh, my radio station 1970, I guess. Uh, so that's just the way that goes. Yeah. But um, uh, we can't thank you enough. Honestly, you gave us just some beautiful words and, and some wisdom. And, and we just, you know, loved your passion, how you opened it up. 
And um, you, as Caleb said, I don't, I don't, I'm gonna stutter my way through it, but you doing the dang thing, right? It's just, it's an honor to know you, one. It's an honor to know you're there. As you mentioned earlier, that seat at the table, right? And that, and that you're willing to fight that fight, right? Because you can easily sit there and just kind of play the middle. But you're saying, no, while I'm here, I want to make a difference. This is what I want to do. And from the different groups that you started with the young girls or the equity and inclusion or focusing on the transparency, you're right. Government gets a C, D on that because no one's going to tell us how to do our job when really the transparency is about letting people understand that we work for you. Right. And we're here to make your life easier. So I just I'm not in the Tustin uh, voting community, but you got my vote. Um, and and in that you're building a legacy and, and looking out to how to increase the number of people that look like us that can run for office and show them how to navigate those waters. My hat's off. I mean, that, that's all I got. So I just appreciate you spending that time uh, with the brothers from the 818 tonight. Thank you. From the bottom of our heart. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to leave you with one, one more tagline. Okay. One more hashtag. If you're not at the table, then you're on the menu. And if <laughs> we as Black people, we actually understand more than, you know, how someone in a marginalized, underserved community, what struggles they um, encounter. So I encourage all those who may live in a community where it doesn't even look like you, you can still represent those marginalized communities because you understand the barriers. So be that seat at the table so that we're not all on the menu for consumption, but you can advocate for other people that don't look like you, but have had similar experiences and have similar concerns and you can represent them well. So I encourage you, if you have that desire in your heart to go for it. So, hey, uh, you know what we've been listening to, um, and now you have always been listening to the brothers from the 818 with our very special guest, Madam Mayor, the first Black woman to mayor the city of Tustin ever, um, and uh, the first woman to uh, hold that position in almost 20 years, and she shared her wisdom, her nuggets, her hashtags with us and with you, and, um, and we can't thank her enough. Um, for all of you out there, you can catch us on YouTube and Facebook. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts and Google, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and of course on our website, The Brothers from the 818. We thank you for spending this time with us. And um, Caleb, what you got to tell them? I just, um, first, you know, usually I just throw up the piece. Mayor Clark, I want to express my gratitude and appreciation. Now, peace. <laughs> peace. You are down with the brothers from the.